I am typically not the person who would say this, but I will say it today. You ever heard someone say, if I can just reach one? You ever heard that? If I can just reach one. Well, typically, I'm not all about that, honestly. (laughs) Typically, I don't even like to hear that. Because I, I read scripture that says that God desires that none should perish, but all should come to eternal life. And there's this part in me that says, oh, one's not enough. I'll just be honest with you. There's, there's this part of me that says one is not enough. I want to see everybody saved. I want to see everybody in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so for me, one is not enough. And then I show up today and I tell you this, if I could just reach one of you with this message, it'd be enough. <laughs> and, and here's why. Because the message today is about not giving up, especially when you want to. It's... Today is a message about not quitting when everything seems to be pointing in in that direction. Now, I'm not talking about quitting the things that you didn't have any business doing to begin with. Can I just be straight about that? That's a message for another day, okay? There are some things that, yes, God's trying to talk you out of that. That's why it's going so rough. It's because He's trying to talk you out of it. But, But that's a message for another day. Today is... When you realize that there is a, a calling on your life, when you realize that, that God has spoken something into your life, that you've said yes to something, but you're tired and you're weary. And most people who ever step into a great calling in their life will have to go through this one place, if not having to go through it several times, where you reach this point and you say, you know what, I just want to quit. I just, want to, I, just, I just want to give up right here. And if you're going to step into the call of God in your life, you need to be prepared. And so one of the things I'd love to do today is show you some of the things that cause us to get to that place where we say, it ain't worth it. I just want to quit. But in doing that, I'll tell you this, that this thing slips up on you so subtly it, it doesn't hit you all at once or you see it coming. You know the devil, he's pretty good about how he does things, right? He, he doesn't drop it all at one time. He layers it a little bit at a time where you get used to some things. And then before long, one day you wake up and you don't know why, but this day you wake up and you want to give up. And you're like, where did that come from? Why is it that today all of a sudden I'm ready to throw the towel in? And, and some of us wonder if God even speaks to that situation in our life. And can I tell you that He does? And that He's spoken to a man named Elijah. A prophet who had a mighty call of God on his life, but he reached a place where he said, I'd just soon die than keep going on. And so I want to take you there. First Kings chapter 18, if you will go with me. And what I want to show you is that Elijah is coming off one of the greatest days of his life and he enters into a series of days which he would describe as the worst days of his life. And they were back to back, side by side. So here is the story. This prophet Elijah issues this challenge to 450 prophets of Baal. Now if my math is correct, that's 450 verses 1. That's bad odds. 
It's all stacked against him. But he, he looks at these 450 prophets of Baal and he says this in chapter 18, verse 24. He tells him, then you call on the name of your God and I'll call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people said, hmm, that sounds like a good idea. That's my nearly inspired version of how you read that. He issues his challenge to 450 prophets of Baal and he says, you got as long as you need to call down fire, and then I'm going to call down fire. And whoever the fire falls on, we'll know that's God. So they build their altar. He says, y'all pick which animal you want. I'll take the other one. I want to make sure everything's stacked in y'all's favor. And they cry out all day long to their God, Baal, and no fire comes. And Elijah starts making fun of them, and he starts embarrassing them publicly, and telling them to shout a little louder. So finally, it's his turn. And he tells him, he said, just to make sure, I want you to take four pitchers of water and I want you to pour it around the sacrifice. And he builds a trench around it. And he says, do that again. And they do it again. So that's eight pitchers of water. And he says, do it again. And that's 12 pitchers of water. And then he calls out to God. And what do you think happens? Fire falls. <laughs> that song we just sang, you make the sacrifice, God provides the fire. Well, the fire of God fell. And the people who have been on the fence, they look and they go, whoo, Elijah's God. Yeah. And then he turns to those prophets, those 450 prophets. And I don't suggest this because I know that some of y'all want to do this to your enemies, but we're in a different we're in a different season, okay, a different covenant. But he grabs those 450 prophets and he slays them that day. 450 to 1, Elijah wins big. And he's thinking, I've destroyed these prophets of the false god. Now my God is going to reign supreme. It's going to be a good day. Oh, and by the way, there's been a drought for three years. Elijah gets along gets a word and prophesies that the drought is going to be over. In fact, he goes up to this king, King Ahab, and he says, Hey, uh, king, you need to get to it because it's about to rain. And if you don't want to get out, if you want to get out of here, you better go now because your chariot's about to get stuck in the mud. Don't you love that kind of confidence? I mean, this guy is bold and he's confident. He's like, you better get out now before you get stuck in the mud. And the rain comes and it ends a like three, three and a half year drought. And so you got Elijah, he is on an emotional high. And all of a sudden, the king is headed back to, it says, Jezreel to meet his wife. Anybody ever heard of his wife? She's a lovely lady in Scripture. Her name is Jezebel. Just sounds like trouble. Just sounds like trouble. But now, Elijah, he's on a good day. He's on an emotional high. He's on a spiritual high. And so while... Ahab, the king, is running off in his chariot to get to his wife. It says that Elijah girds up his loins. He's getting in running mode. I'm so glad we don't wear that kind of stuff, aren't you guys? Uh, he, he grabs his tunic and he tucks it in and he, run, and, and he outruns a chariot, y'all. Which I'm thinking, somebody might misplace that. But Elijah, I'm not. I don't overlook that. Elijah, you outrun a chariot. That's impressive. So he's killed 450 prophets. He's called, called an end to a three-year drought. And he outrun a chariot. And he gets to Jezebel. Ahab got there first. He tells her everything. 
And in chapter 19, here's what he's faced with. Then Jezebel sent a messenger, I'm in verse 2, to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and even more if I do not make your life as the life of one of them. He's talking about those prophets. By tomorrow about this time. So she threatens his life. And this great prophet who's called down fire, defeated 450 prophets of Baal, called an end to the rain and outrun a chariot. Look what happens to him in verse 3. And he was afraid. And he arose and ran for his life. And he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. Mm, anybody ever been in a wilderness? Ever felt like you've been in the desert? And so he runs into the, into the desert alone, and he sat down under a tree, and he requested for himself that he might die. My goodness. All within the span of about a day. This one man who wakes up one day and he is the victorious prophet of God. Gets a threat from the queen. And now he is in the desert. And he's suicidal. You know, suicide is one of those issues that is more and more and more prevalent. Is it not? And it is younger and younger and younger. I, I don't even know that if in middle school I knew that you could take your life. Honestly, I was so naive. I, I didn't even know it was possible. Didn't know anyone that had, had done that. And now we're living in a culture where too many times it seems like it gets so difficult that the only way we can get out of the pain is to say, I just want to end it all. So what does God do for the person who who wants to end it all. He, he doesn't even judge Elijah. He doesn't even scold him so much. He lets him walk through this process. And I want to walk through it with you. That hopefully we will never get to that place. Or if we do, we will be able to turn back before all is lost. You with me? Alright, so somebody's clapping. Praise God. Alright. So, here's one of the things that you have to realize. That when you come off of a, a spiritual high or a big win in your life, that may be the most vulnerable moment of your life. Did you know that? That when it's, when it's all gone well, everything turned out exactly like you thought it would. You're on this emotional high, you're on this spiritual high, and you would think, nothing can touch me now. That's when you're actually the most vulnerable. Why are we the most vulnerable? At the moment after our greatest victory. And I would say that I believe it has something to do with when you're fighting 450 prophets of Baal, your heart is really connected to God right then. You're plugged in and you're trying to hear God. But it seems like after you get that victory, where your heart is poised, can I say that and you know what I mean? Where your heart is fixed, where you poise your heart is important. And oftentimes when we receive a, a great victory in life, what happens is all of a sudden we forget the one that got us there. Our, our heart was fixed on God to get us to the victory, but then when the victory comes, all of a sudden our heart shifts and it's like we drop into neutral at a moment. And then the enemy steps in. Mm. And the enemy decides that he wants to have something to say. You ever heard that little chatter go off in your head? Those, those comments 
Sometimes they come from outside of you. Sometimes they come from inside. And here's what Satan is trying to do. He wants to take that major accomplishment in your life and make it look like it's nothing. He'll take that thing that was important to you, that victory in your life, and all of a sudden he spins it in your mind somehow and it looks like it was absolutely nothing. He'll take a, a breakthrough and make you be despairing. That you're like, man, we broke through. And then all of a sudden he starts talking and you go, I've never had such despair in all my life. And he takes all this enthusiasm that we have. I preached a message on passion a few Sundays back. You remember that? It's a message on passion. He'll take that passion that you have and he'll do all that he can to, to snuff it out through criticism or through threats or complaining or mocking. You ever notice that nobody talks about you when you're failing, but as soon as you get a couple of wins, everybody wants to talk about you? Yeah. I, I found out something in life. Nobody cares if you fail. No, they really don't. People only care when you succeed because that's when they get jealous. That's when they feel threatened. That's when they begin to attack. Jezebel feels threatened and she attacks with this, with this threat. And then there's, there's expectations. I can just imagine. I put myself back there at Elijah and I said, you know, if I was in that case, I'm thinking national revival's about to break out, baby. I, I, you start saying something like this. I've killed 400. You hear that? I've killed. I've killed 450 prophets of Baal. The people have turned back. I prophesied to the king. Revival is about to break out. And then Jezebel looks at him. And she says, I'm going to kill you. And he goes, wait a minute. What happened to revival? What happened to hearts being changed? What, what happened to momentum? And then sometimes you... You have this great breakthrough and you feel like you've really done something. And then you move past that just a little bit and you look back on it and you go, I don't think that made any difference at all. Has anybody ever been there? Like you work so hard, you work so hard, and then one day you decide to look back at what you've accomplished. Am I talking to anybody? Yeah. Or is it just me? Because I'll just preach to me for a little bit till y'all get here, okay? But you work, you work, you work, you work, and you have some breakthroughs, and then a few days pass, and you look back, and it's like the needle didn't even move in the world. Like, nobody even took notice, and you're like, that's all I got. That was like the best of me. That was my shining moment. If that didn't get it, then, then that's it. I don't, I don't have anything left. I gave you my best. That was my best performance, my best dance. And if it's not enough, then I'm, then I'm done. And so then Elijah, with all of this, I imagine in his mind, he runs. <laughs> but can I talk about God for just a minute? <laughs> so Elijah runs, but he can't outrun God. And I can tell you that even if you run because your circumstances get bad, they get too tough, and you get a little quick of foot, can I tell you that you can't outrun God? Because it never fails. Wherever Elijah shows up, God's already there. He, he runs all over the place. And then it's like God just shows up, and He's like, yeah, I'm there too. 
Do you know that there's no need to run because you can't outrun God? And by the way, God wants to be in your mess. So many people feel like when they make a mess that God doesn't want to be a part of it. Can I tell you that even if you have got down to a suicidal mess, God says, I'd like to get in the middle of that with you. And so then God sends him a messenger, an angel, taps him on the shoulder. And I thought about that. Isn't that interesting that Jezebel sent a messenger and God sent a messenger? The devil sent a messenger that said, I'm going to kill you in 24 hours. God sends his own messenger and says, Hey, wake up and eat. You need to gain some strength. You see, that's the way that God works. And if I can just make a, I'm going to make some marks along the message today. Can I just make a mark that if there is ever a time where you feel like you need to encourage someone, would you do it? Would you do it? Would you quit asking? I wonder if that's God or if that's me or if that's the devil. The devil ain't trying to encourage nobody. He's he's threatening them, telling them he's going to kill them in 24 hours. They need another messenger. And I'm sure you'd love for God to send them an angel, but you know what He'll do sometimes? He'll send you. You're the messenger. You're the one that's supposed to be the encourager. And so this angel, he comes and he feeds Elijah and he lets Elijah take a nap. I love a good nap. Mm. I I heard it said from a very spiritual man who was a father in the faith and I held on to it because I liked it. You ever heard it? You're like, I don't know if it's biblical or not, but I like it so I'm going to hold on to it. You've done that too, Pat. Yeah. He said this, he said, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do in life is take a nap. Yeah. And then I finally found some scripture for it. The angel feeds him and lets him take another nap. He gets two naps. Do you know sometimes you just hadn't been eating well because you've been worried? And so you're not healthy. You're not strong. And you hadn't been resting because your mind's been a mess. So you've been staying up at night and you haven't been sleeping at all. And God comes to you and you're wondering what He's going to do to fix you. And He says, take eat. Take a nap. And rest yourself. And then we'll talk when you're strong. Because you've got a journey. And He takes him on a journey back to this mountain, Mount Horeb. You might know it in other portions of Scripture. It's called Mount Sinai. It's where God meets with His people. He takes him back to his roots. Do you know that it's sometimes in the healing process, God will take you back to your roots? He'll, he'll take you back to that original place. You, he'll remind you of that day that you got saved. He ever done that to you? He, he'll take you back to that day that He came into your life. He'll take you back to that day where He called you to something and you said yes. <laughs> he'll take you back to it. And so he he takes him back to his roots, to the place where he moved before. Sometimes when you can't see God moving in your current situation, you need to go back and see where he moved in a previous situation. And take heart. And take heart. And then he asked him this question. I've got it marked in red. It's verse 9. He, the God looks at Elijah and he says, 
what are you doing here, Elijah? <laughs> what are you doing here? Have you ever heard God ask you that question? Oh, man, what, what are you doing? He's calling everything into question that is bubbling up inside of Elijah. It's the question that's going to cause it all to come out. And Elijah just throws up to God. I used to be a part of a small group. I still consider it my, my permanent home. They would have this moment. I see some of you smiling. And, and, and they would call it, wasn't it called an upchuck moment? or what? A puke group. Yes, they called themselves the puke group. And what they realized is that there were times that you were hiding stuff inside your heart. And that's a lot like poison if you aren't familiar. That when you bury all that stuff inside your heart, it becomes poison to you. And they realized that one of the most healing and helpful things you can do is find somebody that loves you and just let them have it. Just tell them what's on your mind. And so Elijah doesn't do the cute church little thing, which is, oh, God's good and he's just faithful and won't he do it? I shouldn't get off track, but this has been something that's bothered me lately. So I'm just going to say it, okay? And then I'll get back to the message, okay? I have become attuned to these moments in our life when we quote Scripture and we say things about God and we don't mean it. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, we won't. Won't He do it? And I want to look and go, I don't think you believe He will. I honestly don't think you believe He will. Or, or quote another verse of Scripture just because it's the right thing to do. Can I tell you, you need to get over that stuff with God and really be honest. Yeah, when you're hurting, you need to say you're hurt. When you're mad, you need to say you're mad. Now, you need to use your manners. <laughs> Can I just say, okay, I... There's something about me that says we need to be honest with God like David did in Scripture, but at the same time, you need to mind your manners because this is not any ordinary person we're talking to, okay? So we want to honor too, but we need to be honest. So look at what Elijah says. I'm going to paraphrase this for you. He says, God, I am zealous for you. He says, I am, I am passionate for you. You owe me. See, you would never say that out loud, would you? To God, God, you owe me? Right? Nah, we, we got better sense than to say that, but that's what Elijah's saying. He's like, God, I'm the one. I've been faithful and passionate in serving you. I, you owed me. And now look at where I'm at. You see, there are times if you're mad at God and you think He ain't done what He was supposed to do, you ought to tell Him, God, right now my heart's broken because I thought you were going to do something and you didn't do it. And then he says, everyone has turned their back on you, God. And so he starts underestimating some stuff. Now listen real carefully to this, this place right here. We start underestimating and undervaluing what other people are doing. Are you following me? You see, he looked around and he didn't see anybody. He couldn't see anybody who was following God. But the reality is, over a little while back, it said that there was a hundred prophets of God that were hiding out in caves, still serving God. He's not the only one. But when you get in a funk, 
you start thinking you're the only one. You're the only one in the family that's working, right? Yeah, you're the only one that's keeping everything together. Everybody else, God, they done turned the back on you. Everybody's left you. You start underestimating what people are doing. And if you start underestimating your family, your spouse, the people who are in ministry with you, the people who are working with you, you will become bitter. And you will become, you'll get to a place where you will hate the people you're supposed to love and lead. That was a good point. Somebody write that down. Was that, thank you. I want to say that one more time because it'll happen and I don't want it to happen to you. That if you start underestimating what everybody else is doing, that you'll begin to actually become bitter at people you're supposed to love and lead. Yeah, there's people in your family you're supposed to love and lead them. But you got bitter because you've underestimated what they're doing. Right? The man, we always out cutting grass, ain't we? Trying to keep the lawn up and all that stuff. Can't see anything about dishes and everything else. Ladies, oh, I'm treading on careful ground. Hold my hand. <laughs> I know that people do different things now, okay? But whatever you're doing, laundry or whatever, you think you're the only one doing it. Nobody else is working like you, right? Okay, I'm good. I, I was, it was scary to see all those faces, you know? <laughs> But you can't underestimate what other people are doing unless you overestimate what you're doing. That's the other part of it. You start thinking, you're the Savior of the world. Can I just be honest for just a little bit right here? And just say, because in a minute I'm going to tell my own story and, and, and you'll see where I'm at. <laughs> but you can't underestimate what everybody else is doing unless you overestimate what you're doing. And you begin to think that you're the savior of the world. That this thing won't make it. That the world, the, the planets will fall out of orbit. Should you not keep going the way that you're going. Can I tell you there is but one savior of the world. His name is Jesus Christ. And all of us are just part of the plan. You're not the plan. You're not the plan. But in that moment you'll think you're the plan. That it all rests on you. And so you underestimate everybody and you overestimate yourself and then you begin to exaggerate everything. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, you started in the problem, you know, it was that big, right? Yeah, but by the time you thought about it all night, whoo, it's this big. Yeah, because that's what burnout is all about. Is you start exaggerating. You start making your problems bigger than everything else. You start making your own importance bigger than everything else. And those are the stages of burnout. And so God says, Elijah, I need to talk to you. You, you need to hear from me. He says, go to Sinai where you know that I've been before. And I'm going to talk to you there. And he goes, and just real quick, he goes and, and all of a sudden it says that the wind starts and it's breaking rock. Ooh, that's a thunderstorm right there. The wind. But it says God wasn't in the wind. And then I'm in verse 11. It says, then an earthquake came. But God wasn't in the earthquake. And then the fire came. Now surely God's in the fire, right? But it said God wasn't in the fire. And then in verse 12. It says, 
And after the fire, a sound of... Now, different translations say this different ways. So pay attention right here, this little thing. Mine says a gentle blowing. Some say a still, small voice. It's literally translated this way, the sound of sheer silence. Oh, can I say that one more time? Because I don't really like silence much. And I venture to say that some of you don't like it either. And so you turn the radio on when you're in the car. And you got something playing, the TV playing when you're at the house. And you always got something going. Why? Because we don't like silence. But can I tell you that it is in silence that you will find not the absence of God, but the presence of God. God was in the silence. And Elijah heard Him. That, that word, it says, he heard him in the sound of sheer silence. Make a mark right here. Some people go to church, and if the church isn't ripping and roaring and all kind of crazy stuff going on, they think, Lord, God just didn't show up today. He just, he just the, the anointing wasn't there. Right? Sometimes we can get addicted to those kind of things. I believe that God is getting Elijah out of his addiction for these power encounters. And so he sends wind and he sends an earthquake and he sends fire, but he's not in any of those. Because what he wants him to know is that Elijah, most of the time when I need to get your attention, you won't hear a thing. It'll be absolute silence. And then I'll speak to you there inside your heart. And so he comes in that that sheer silence, and then that question comes up again. Elijah, what are you doing here? Can I ask you that question? And then I'll tell you my, my personal journey with this. Here's the question. What are you doing right here today? Why are you here? What brought you to this church? What caused you to, to get online and listen today? Why? Why are you here? <laughs> my story about 20 years ago now is this. It's my own personal journey of, of almost quitting ministry. Of almost giving up. And I'd have never been here today. So you'd have never heard this message. But we were building a building. Some of you know we came out of Chester Freedom Ministries. And many of you, I remember. <laughs> Roger, you're back there. We worked, did we not? Oh my gosh, there's probably some of the rest of you in the room that we worked hard. It was a 26,000 square foot building and we were going to build it with volunteer labor. Yeah, and I was in charge of that project. Yay me. So we start that thing, we're full of passion and zeal and we're ready and we show up on day one and there's like two dozen people there and I'm like, yeah, there's more people than I know what to do with. And it was hard to just keep everybody working. But then six months rolled around, and guess what? That two dozen, it was about down to a dozen. And then about close to the end, it was down to about a good handful most days. That's the way projects work sometimes. So if there are any of y'all who think we're going to build this new project with volunteer labor, I am not in charge. <laughs> I had been there, done that, got the t-shirt, got some scars inside and out from it. But there was one day, 
that everybody else, there was something going on in town. And everybody knew that it was going on. So that Saturday, rather than show up to work, everybody went to that thing that was in town. But they didn't call and let me know. So I show up on Saturday morning ready to work. Time passes, nobody's showing up. Nobody's showing up. And then it dawns on me. It's hilarity. Everybody's at hilarity. Why didn't somebody tell me we were all going to hilarity? And I'm sitting there, and I get mad. I told you I was going to be honest, right? I got so mad. I was like, they could have at least told me. I'd have went too. I wanted to go to hilarity. And then all of a sudden, I said, you know what? I'll do this myself. So I went and got some petitions. They were petitions for bathrooms. You know those petitions in the bathrooms? Yeah, any of you men know where this is going. It's going to be bad. Justin, it's going to be real bad. Okay. Any of y'all who are in carpentry. So we ordered these petitions. They were custom made to fit our dimensions of our big old bathrooms. One on either side of the building. Well, we ordered those things. Non-refundable. Can't exchange them. They're yours. And in the midst of ordering, I forgot that the plumbing didn't work, so we had to move the walls. Anybody that knows construction just went, oh! We changed the walls. So now, nobody's with Kevin, but Kevin's going to do this thing all by himself because, you know, he's the faithful servant of the Most High God. <clears throat> yeah, young lion, too zealous. So I start trying to figure this thing out. And before long, I've got partitions from this bathroom and this bathroom. These are over here, and they're out of the packages. And once they're out of the packages, they don't tell you where they go anymore. And I've got partitions everywhere. They're leaning up against the walls in the bathrooms. I'm traipsing back and forth across the building. I'm getting madder every time I walk. And I'm thinking, mm-hmm. And I said, I will put these things up myself. So I'm holding two partitions. And I'm trying to screw these first ones in. What do you think happened? That partition that was nicely painted falls like a redwood tree in the forest. It was, so, it was like it was slow motion, just so God would let me see it. It was like... And I sat there in the middle of that bathroom floor <coughs> over the vent where the drain was. That's about how low I felt. And I had tears coming into my eyes. And I thought I saw blood. You, ever, you, you know how you feel like you got blood in your eyes? I was so mad at everybody. And I said, forget it. And I walked out of there. I'm not going to hilarity, I'm going home. And I was mad. I let that thing brew for about two weeks or so. And we finally got a break. I needed one bad. Finally got a break. And we went up to Virginia to talk to a pastor that was there. It's me and Steve, he's the pastor, my father-in-law, and one of the, the guys that was the elder at the time. We went there, and one night, I just had a minute to myself, and I had a little rest. I was out on the porch of this guy's house. 
And God said to me, Kevin, what are you doing here? What are you doing? And it was, it was like poison control where you just have to get that poison out of your system. It drew everything up out of me. And I started talking like Elijah. And I was like, God, I've been doing this thing all by myself. No, I hadn't. Roger didn't even go to the church back then. He was going to another church and he was out there every night. But I couldn't see Roger. Because all I could see was me. And I was so mad. And I broke on that porch and I just started crying. And it was like everything was coming out. And I just let God have it all. And you know what? He was more than happy to take it. Do you know He's more than happy to take all your disappointment, all your heartbreak, all your anger, all those things. He sat there and He listened to it all. And I poured, it was one of them moments, I know it's not manly, guys, I'll put my man card back in my pocket in a little bit. But I sat on that porch and I snotted on that man's front porch. I had tears and snot and it all ran together, but I had to get it out. Because I was done. And when I laid it all out, it was like all of a sudden I could breathe and God said, I didn't ask you to do that. I, I didn't ask you to carry that load. I didn't ask you to carry that all by yourself. You're not even carrying that all by yourself. Why are you so mad at people for going to hilarity? You should have gone there too. You needed to have a day off. Why are you pushing people so hard, Kevin? Man, my heart just broke. And I realized that the people that I was supposed to love and lead, I had become bitter. Oh, I hate to say it. But I'll tell you that that moment transformed my life. Because it let me know that you can never allow yourself to get to that place where you're angry at the people you're supposed to love and lead. And so I poured it all out there. And then God spoke to me and He said, Kevin, will you just do what I asked you to do? He'll take you and you'll want to talk about everybody else. And God will just come and He'll just do like this. And He'll say, will you just do what I asked you to do? You know, He'll, he'll look at you and He'll say, I, I, know, I know you're tired, but look, will, will you just do what, what I asked you to do? Because if you'll do what I asked you to do, I'll give you strength for that. But if you want to go out and just do your own thing, I, I can't support that. And God began to, to pour strength back into me. And I realized that I could go back into this thing with some, some new meaning in life. And so what normally happens is once God renews you, once you get all that poison out of your system, by the way, if you refuse to own it, you'll stay in it. If, if you want to be the victim, then you'll be the victim. If you want to be the Lone Ranger, you'll be the Lone Ranger. If you want to go it alone, you can go it alone, but you don't have to. But if you hold on to the things, that's what will happen. But if you lay them down, then what happens is God starts renewing you, starts sending messages to you, starts encouraging you. He tells Elijah, there's 7,000 people that have never turned their heart toward Baal, never kissed Him. You're not the only one. There's help, Elijah. 
And then after he renews him, he recommissions him. And he says this, Elijah, I need you to go out and anoint two more guys. They're going to be kings. I need you to anoint Elisha. Any of you ever heard of him? Woo! The man that says, I need a double portion of what you got, Elijah. And I looked at that and I asked this, oh my goodness, did God pass over Elijah? Did, because sometimes when you're acting stupid, you, you'll wonder if God's passed over you. Did any, did anybody ever thought that? Like you went to a place you knew you weren't supposed to go. You did some things you knew you weren't supposed to do. And you wonder, am I done? Am I, am I washed up? Can He ever use me? And you're wondering, and I'm, and I'm sitting here and I'm wondering, oh my goodness, did God pass over Elijah? To give his commission to somebody else. And then it struck me. And it was like, no. What God did is give Elijah hope. Because he showed him a future. Are you with me? You see, Elijah doesn't know if this thing's just going to tank. And it's never going to amount to anything. But God points out. He says, oh no, no. I got two more kings that are coming after you. I got a, a prophet that I'm going to raise up. His name is Elisha, and he's going to follow after you. And so what he's telling Elijah is, Elijah, there's a future, and there's a hope, and you're actually going to get to help build the future. I need to make two marks, and then we're going to end this thing. One mark is this. We can never, and I, I don't know why, I just feel like I need to warn us as a church about this. That, that there are times when you're passionate about God, you think you're the only one passionate about God. Can I just speak something over Ember that says we are not the only church that is passionate about God? Can I tell you that we're not the only church that is building the kingdom of God? And that it's a dangerous place when a people get so excited about what they're doing that they think God's not doing it anywhere else. I've been getting to know some pastors lately. And can I tell you that the pastors who are in this town, they got a heart for God. And they got a heart for His people. And there are churches who are doing some amazing things. But a lot of times you only see it in what's going on around here. So you don't know what's going on around anywhere else. And if you aren't careful, you'll think you're the only one. And this ember, boy, we done cornered the market on God. <laughs> Ember's part of the plan. Ember's not the plan. And there are a lot of people who are doing some stuff. And we need to celebrate it. And we need to encourage it. Because can I tell you, the church down the street ain't our competition. It's our teammates. They're our teammates. Yeah. So, so we don't ever think we've gotten above anybody else. We're just part of the plan. And then he gets to help with Elisha. To mentor Elisha. I don't even know how many kids have gotten baptized and saved around here. Do you know that in Kingdom Kids today, they're over there talking about salvation because there are more kids that want to know what it means to be saved. Yeah. yeah! Can I tell you that our assignment is we have to mentor that next generation? You see, if you think you're the only one, then the only thing you're worried about is your gift, your ministry, and how to do your thing. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than all of us. And so what I want to challenge us to do is this. 
I believe we will make a mistake if all we do is carry out the call of God on our life without mentoring a younger generation. Oh, you didn't even know I was going there today, did you? I ought to be able to look at every single one of you and say, who are you mentoring? Who are you mentoring? Who are you pouring your life into? Who are you passing along what God is doing? Who are you pouring yourself into? Who's the next prophet, Pat? You know, who's the next singer, Crystal, that can pour a heart out to God in worship, Ebony? Who's the, who's the next one? You see these new people up on stage? You see that? You want to know why? Yeah, because we're taking the lid off. Yeah. If you want to play, you can play. If you want to be involved in ministry, you can minister. And there's some young people, they need mentors. And you shouldn't look at them and say, well, if they want me to be one, they should come and ask me. You're going to die spiritually lonely. What you should be doing is saying this, who will I go pour my life into? And you say, but, but they won't have me. Young people are scary, right? We got some young people back there. The world thinks y'all are scary for some reason. They're not scary. They're as scared of you as you are of them. Oftentimes we're all a little bit unsecure, insecure about what's going on. But can I tell you that if you will come alongside of someone, if nothing more than this, a messenger of hope, that if you'd find a young person and say, I will be their encourager. That I will find someone and I will speak life into them. Because I assure you that if you don't speak life, someone will speak death. And my heart can't bear the fact that all these young people that are rising up, giving their hearts to God, that we would leave them unattended. They would have to fend for themselves in the world. And they'd get off to high school or they'd get off to college. And they say, you know what? It's just too tough. I'm going to quit. Ooh, my heart can't take it, y'all. I can't, I can't be a part of such a thing. So what we got to do is we got to realize that we got to pour ourselves into this next generation. We got to find some young people and pour ourselves in. One last thing, and I'm going to end this. We got some older youth, and we've got some uh, young people that are in college. And for the longest time, I thought that we were, I was supposed to pour myself into somebody maybe in their 30s or something like that. Because whether you know it or not, since I started Ember, I've been looking out in the crowd. Brantley and I do it all the time. We look out and we go, where's the person? Where are they? Are they in the room? What am I saying? What I'm asking is this. Who's the person that's going to take my place? Yeah, I'm already trying to figure out if they're in the room. Because if they're in the room, I want to mentor them. And I want to pour my life into them so that I can pass this thing on. Because you see, I'm not about one generation. I'm about a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm about a multi-generational church that can pass this thing on. There's some young people, and they need mentors. Jeff, he said, I can take this, this younger group. I can take this middle school, sort of starting in the high school group. He said, but I don't think I can do anything with these older teenagers. I, I don't think I can do anything with those college-age people. And I just want to offer this up because there may be somebody in the room. Now, don't take this because you feel guilty because you won't be good at this. Did you hear me? Don't, don't come up here and talk to me because you feel guilty about something. 
come up here because this is in your heart. And if, if there's nobody in the room, we're just going to keep praying. But I want somebody for those late teenagers, some of them are walking in the room right now, those 20-year-olds that are in college. I see some of your faces. I, I'm looking for somebody who will help pour their life into that group because I actually believe we're going to pass the church to them. I look at some of you, honestly. I look at some of you and I, I say, that, that's a leader. That's, that's potentially some folks that are going to lead this church one day. And I want to see us pour our lives into them. Elijah did that. And because of that, he was renewed and he was recommissioned. And the work of God continued. Can I tell you this? If you're ready to quit, there's too much left for you to do. Never give up on the plans of God for your life.